Let's pray together, and we'll open up God's Word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the ways you've been working in in our midst this last week. Many, 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 many ways. You're faithful. You're powerful. You love us deeply. You've given your life for us. Lord, we can trust you for everything. And so we thank you. Lord, I pray now that you would bring your power upon us as we open up your word, as we study what you preached, the Sermon on the Mount. Lord, that you would teach us about prayer today, about talking with you, and that each of us would leave here today with a renewed vision of the importance of prayer. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good. Let me just start by kind of painting the big, big picture, big, big picture for you. So you've been, you've been born, and you're alive, okay, on this planet. You're born, you're here in this universe, not by chance, not just random like you're here, but God created you and placed you here. You are living on a planet in a universe which is ruled and controlled, created by God. And when you look at what God has created... Like, like the design of your eyes, which can see in color in 3D, right? Without little funny glasses. When you, when you think about the beauty of like an orchid, when you think about the number of galaxies and the size of the galaxies that's here in this universe, I mean, it's clear. God, the God who created all of this, is massive in size. He is infinite in power. He is overflowing with love and goodness. I mean, look at you. Look what you can see. Look, at, He's just infinite and overflowing with love and goodness. He's flawless in his wisdom. And he is deeply personal. And so here's the big picture. Here we are, little human beings on this planet, in this universe, created by a massively immense, powerful, loving, good, wise, personal God. That's what you find yourself in by birth. Here you are. And so the question is, can we know this God? Can we relate to him? Can we talk with him? And if we can know him and relate with him and talk with him, how would we start to do that? How would we do that? And that question is what Jesus explains for us in the next section of the Sermon on the Mount that we're studying through. So let's turn, if you're not already there, Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 through 15. And if you don't have a Bible, we'd like to have you all have a copy, so raise your hand, we'll bring one to you, be bold. Um, Matthew seven, Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 through 15 is on page 811 in the Bibles that we're passing out. So go ahead, we want you to all have a Bible. We are passionate about studying the Bible here at Mercy Hill Church. Not just studying it, understanding it, and living it. And so we want you to have a Bible in front of you so you can follow along. And in these verses, Jesus explains how we can relate to God. How we can interact with God. How do we talk to God? How do we pray And look at what he says in verses 7 through 15. And when you pray, Jesus said, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. 
our Father in heaven, hallowed is praised, prized, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now you might be thinking the next part of the prayer is, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen, right? But that was not in what Jesus spoke. Somebody, some well-meaning editor, decades, centuries later, we're not sure, added that in. It's a good thing to pray. It's not what Jesus said, though. Okay, He went right from that into an explanation in verses 14 and 15 of what he said at the end of verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. So he explains that in verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Okay, so Jesus starts off in verses 7 and 8 talking about how not to talk to God. Here's how not to talk to God. Verse 7, start there. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. So people at Jesus' time, many of them thought, I mean, what they would do is they would, they would repeat these like incantations, and they thought the more that they repeated them, the more God would hear. So if they repeated this prayer, this incantation, like five times, and God's kind of like, listen, a little. If they repeated it a hundred times, God's like, okay, a little, a little more. If they repeated it like 10,000 times, God's like, I'm here, I'm listening. Okay, that's kind of how they thought. The more you repeated something, the more God would listen. Jesus says, wrong. Don't think that if you pray more, God listens more. God, through Jesus Christ, because you're forgiven through him, we'll talk about that more in a moment, because you've been forgiven through trusting Jesus Christ, the moment that you like go into your bedroom this afternoon and close the door and kneel down and just say, Father, at that moment, you have God's complete, undivided attention. And Jan said, do you want to say undivided? Well, God is infinite, and so yes, he can give you his complete, undivided attention, and at the same time, give me his complete undivided attention and give everyone else who he loves and cares for, right? That's all of us, his complete and undivided attention. But the point is you don't need to, to pray more to have God listen more. The moment you come and pray in Jesus' name, you have God's complete undivided attention. We're talking about God here, right? The one who created everything, who's infinite in power, flawless in wisdom, or flowing with goodness, the God who's created everything that is is giving you his complete undivided attention. When you just come and just say, Father, he's right there listening. Okay? So don't think the more you pray, the more God hears. Verse 8. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Okay, other people at Jesus' time thought that God didn't know what they needed. And so they needed to explain to God what they needed. And the more they explained, the more God knew. But Jesus says, that's wrong. Okay, it's not that the more you pray, the more God knows. Even before you say a word in prayer, God already knows everything you're concerned about. He knows every need that you have. He knows every desire in your heart. He knows already. Okay? 
So think about it. Here you are. You're just one little tiny person amongst seven billion people on this on this earth. And the God who's over everything knows everything that you need, everything that you desire, every longing that you have. Okay, so how not to pray. Don't think that the more you pray, God listens, or that the more you pray, God knows. Now, we could draw some wrong conclusions from this, though. I want to just meld this together with some other scriptures. You could think that, therefore, you should never repeat yourself in prayer. Okay? But remember in, in Matthew's Gospel, as Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, how many times does he repeat his prayer? It's three times. So there's nothing wrong with repeating prayer, nor is there anything wrong with persisting in prayer, because Jesus told parables to encourage us to persist in prayer. So that's not the point Jesus is making. He's simply saying, don't think that the more you pray, the more God listens, or that the more you pray, the more God knows. Quite the contrary. The moment that you come before him and you're trusting Jesus Christ, you have his complete undivided attention and he knows already everything that concerns you. Everything he already knows. So that's how not to pray. Now, the fact that God already knows everything, though, it raises a question in my mind and it might raise a question in some of your minds. And that is, if God already knows everything, well, then then how am I supposed to pray? How should we talk to God? I mean, should I just come and say, God... You already know everything I need. Amen. Is that how we should pray? You know? Well, no, it's not how we should pray. Look at what Jesus tells us in terms of how we should pray. Look at verses 9 through 13. This is a model to help us see how we pray. Verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, here he is explaining, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Okay, so how should we talk to God? I just pondered those verses 9 through 15, and, and I thought of five, five things. This is how we should talk to God. First of all, three times in these verses, Jesus mentions the fact that we need to be forgiven by God. Okay? Recognize that we need to be forgiven by God. See, we human beings can't just start off talking to God. God... We can't just start off and think everything's going to be fine. Everything's all right. Because everything is not all right. Do you know why everything's not all right? Because we've all sinned against God. I mean, think about it. God is infinitely more satisfying than anything else that there is. In his presence, we love this verse here at Mercy Hill Church, in his presence there is fullness of what? Joy. And at his right hand, there are pleasures forever, fullness forever in God. God is infinitely more satisfying than anything else. Has anyone here desired anything more than God this last week? Okay. Um, Did I not ask that right? Has anyone here desired anything more than God this last week? Or am I like the only, I didn't think I was the only one. That would be, okay, all right. So we've all sinned against God. And because God is holy, and just and righteous, he has to punish sin. 
And so if you've not been forgiven by God for your sins, then when you talk to God, he cannot respond to you favorably. There's wrath there. There's judgment coming. But the amazing news is that God loves us. He cares for us, and he's made a way for each of us to be forgiven. And this is a huge part to understand in prayer. That's why Jesus mentions it three times in in these verses. The way Jesus, the way God provided forgiveness was through Jesus. Okay, God the Father sent Jesus the Son to the earth, and God punished Jesus in our place for our sins, so that the moment you turn to Jesus Christ and you say, I'm trusting you, Lord Jesus, as my Savior, I'm trusting you as my Lord, I'm trusting you as my all-satisfying treasure, at that moment, everything changes for you between you and God. You are completely, completely forgiven for all of your sins. And so you come to God, forgiven in Jesus, and you say, Father, and he responds to you with favor, with love. He's smiling with delight. So because we're trusting Jesus, we can talk to God at any time, and he listens, loves, cares, responds with favor, goes to work. So recognize we need to be forgiven by God. If you haven't been forgiven by God yet through trusting Jesus Christ, you've got to start there. God wants you to be forgiven. He wants to save you. That's why he sent his son. But don't think you can just start talking to God. You've got to be forgiven first. And you can be through Jesus. Second thing I saw in these verses. Just talk to God humbly, simply, and directly. Do you notice how simple these statements are? It's not flowery. It's not like, what does that word mean? Okay, it's just very simple. Our Father in heaven Hallowed be your name. So we, we pray humbly, our Father in heaven. We're, we're humbled before him. We pray simply. There's no strange incantations here. Give us today our daily bread. Don't get more simple than that, do you? And then we just simply pray directly. We directly make our requests before God. Hallowed be your name. So we pray humbly, simply, and directly. Third, Notice that Jesus wants us to center our prayer around the glory of his name, the glory of God's name. Notice the very first request. This is no accident. The very first request is, hallowed be your name. Now that word hallowed is not a word we use very often, and it has to do with let your name, let your glory, let your reputation, let it shine, let it be exalted, let it be praised. That's what we're praying for here. And we start off there. Now, here's how this works. When God saves you, he changes your heart. He sets you free from Satan's blinding power. And he breaks the power of sin in you so that now when you see God's glory, you love his glory. And so because you've been saved, you love to worship God. You love to behold God. You love to be in God's presence. You love his name. You love his glory. You love his honor. And what brings you the most joy is to see his name hallowed, to see his his glory exalted, to see his majesty displayed. This is what thrills you and fills you and energizes you and empowers you. And so Jesus wants us to center our prayers around the glory of God's name so that every other request, like give us this day our our daily bread, Lord, give whatever I need that will help me glorify you the most. I'm not praying for luxuries. I'm not praying for millions of dollars. Just give me what I need so I can fulfill your call upon me to bring glory to your name. So everything else centers around the glory of God's name. Fourth, There's five requests he mentions here. Hallow your name, 
Let your kingdom come and your will be done. Forgive our debts. Give us our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I'm going to elaborate on those more in a second, but those pretty much cover everything you'd ever pray about. Right there. Everything you'd ever pray about. So what Jesus wants us to do is he gives us this model for prayer. Notice, we're asking God to do things. Right? We're asking God, we're saying, God, hallow your name. God, let your kingdom come, your will be done. In this model of prayer, Jesus lists request after request after request. So he doesn't mention everything about prayer here. He doesn't mention worship here. In a sense, hallowed be your name is worship. There's nothing mentioned here about thanksgiving. right? So he doesn't cover everything about prayer here. But notice how much of prayer involves asking God to do things. Okay, so... Fifth point, then, is to understand that your prayers will move God to do the things that you ask him for. I just want to camp on this point a little bit because I think one of Satan's most subtle and and deadly and effective uh, lies that he gives us about prayer is thinking that your prayer will accomplish nothing. Prayer will do nothing. But notice, if Jesus here calls us to ask God to do this and to do this and to do this and to do this, why, is he ask, why does he want us to pray and ask God to do things? God does not need our prayer. Don't have the idea that prayer is like if we could all just get our, our positive energy together and if we could all like mm, direct our positive energy towards some situation, then, then God will be able to do something. Right? People talk that way. God does not need our prayers. God could just like do it. He's God. Okay? And yet... Jesus, his son, tells us to ask God to do the things that he could do anyway. Why? All through the scriptures we see, it's because God has chosen to give us an amazing role in accomplishing his will. God has ordained to accomplish his will through our prayers. God has chosen to accomplish what he does through our prayers, and so when we pray, God's going to answer God will work. So, so here's the picture I want you to have. Let's say that tonight you just go for a little walk around your block and, and you, you're forgiven through trusting Jesus and you, you say, God, would you, would you do, you, you ask God, like, hallowed be your name. Here's you, little tiny human being amongst seven billion human beings on this planet in this huge universe and here's mass of God and God is giving you his full and undivided attention and as you pray, God will go to work. You've just moved God's heart. God has ordained to have our prayers move his heart to do what he's going to do. And you pray, and he's, he's, yes. And so your prayer has affected God. Your prayer has moved God. Your little prayer this afternoon moves the God of the universe to work. Now, again, it's not because of how holy you've been, right, or how righteous you are. It's because you are a sinner saved by grace and God is infinitely merciful and he displays his glory by having people like us call upon him to work and then he goes to work. It displays his glory. It brings us joy. It makes our lives purposeful that you can come before God and pray and the God of the universe works. So that's the assumption behind all these requests that Jesus mentions here is that our tiny little prayers move the God of the universe to work. So what I want to do now is go through each of these requests and just give you a feel of, of what, what God will do as you pray these requests. And here's why. As I've been praying over this passage this week, my sense is that the Lord wants to, to 
encourage some of us that uh, we've been taking prayer too lightly. We've been letting a lot of other stuff fill our time that is completely unimportant compared to prayer. That if we understand that God has ordained to accomplish his will through the prayers of his people, that we will we'll get off the internet quicker, we may turn off TV sooner, we'll, you know, we'll, we will devote ourselves to prayer. So I'm praying for me and for us that God will help us to see the vast importance of prayer. So what will happen when we pray? First, when we pray, verse 9, hallowed be your name. God's name will be hallowed. His name will be praised. His glory will be displayed when we pray. Now this is huge because God's purpose for the entire universe is to display his glory. That's why God does everything he does. And your highest joy is to see God's glory displayed. Your highest joy is to see his glory displayed. His purpose is to display his glory. It all comes together there and when you ask him to display his glory, he will display his glory. He will advance his glory. He will display his majesty more than he would have had you not prayed. So you can bow down by your bed tonight and say, Father, Hallowed be your name. I feel this. And God's name will be hallowed more than had you not prayed. I mean, never look at a five-minute slot of time the same again. You can pray, hallowed be your name, and God's name will be more hallowed than it would have been otherwise. Second, when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, what will happen? This isn't rocket science. God's kingdom will come, and God's will will be done. Now, what do those mean? Well, when God's kingdom comes in the Gospels, it's especially focusing on God's saving power through Jesus to set men and women free from sin, to set them free from Satan's hold, to save them. God's kingdom power comes, and he saves people. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Have saved people be walking more in accord with your will. So we're praying for God to save people, and we're praying for God to strengthen the church. That may cover some other things, but it's especially those two is what I want to focus on. So think about what this means. If you, like tomorrow morning, got up five minutes earlier, okay, and prayed, let your kingdom come in my workplace today. Let your will be done in my workplace today. Let your kingdom come in my neighborhood this week. Let your kingdom, your will come in terms of my circle of friendships this week. Let people be saved this week. What will happen? More of God's saving power will be brought upon your workplace, upon your neighborhood, upon your circle of friends, than had you not prayed. That's why Jesus wants us to say, to pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. When you pray and ask God to do that, he will bring more of his saving power into your neighborhood, workplace, friends, than had you not prayed. Third, when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, what will happen? God will give us our daily bread, okay? Now again, we're not praying for luxuries here. We're not praying for millions. Our highest desire is to have his name be glorified. And so we say, Father, provide for me in whatever way I need so that I can fulfill my call to bring glory to your name in the way you've called me to do that. But still, we we pray. So think about what this means. Um, I mean, if you sit down and pray this afternoon with your wife or your kids and say, give us this day our daily bread, then there will be more of God's daily provision given to you because you prayed than had you not prayed. Right? Otherwise, why do we do it? Right? Think about James 4.2. We have not, why? Because we ask, ask not. 
Okay? And so we ask. We ask. And he wants us to ask for our daily bread. Fourth, when we pray, forgive us our debts, what will happen? God will forgive us our debts. Now let's explain this. Debts is just another word for sins. Okay? So what Jesus is doing is he's asking us to ask God, forgive us. I sinned yesterday. I lost patience with my kids last night or with my wife yesterday morning, whatever it might be. Forgive me. And the reason we can be forgiven by God is because of Jesus' death on the cross, right? Now, why does Jesus say forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors? And then why in verses 14 and 15 does he say if we do forgive others, God will forgive us. If we don't forgive others, God won't forgive us. What's going on here? There's a big emphasis in the Lord's Prayer. And as I ponder this, see if this makes sense to you. I think what Jesus wants us to do is to be checking our hearts as, we are, as we're praying. He wants us to be looking inside our hearts and asking, have I forgiven others? Now, why is that so important to ask? It's not because forgiving others is how you earn God's forgiveness. Okay, we talk about this almost every Sunday because this is so important and so often misunderstood. You don't first start forgiving others, and then God looks down to you and says, okay, you're forgiving others, all right, you've now earned my forgiveness. No! Totally wrong, okay? It all starts with us being forgiven by God. We come poor in spirit, the very first verse of the Sermon on the Mount, right? I, I, I can't forgive others. I'm a sinful man. I'm coming poor in spirit. Help me. And when I put my trust in Jesus, his death on the cross, his resurrection power, he forgives me and he starts to change me. And then as a result of forgiving my sins and experiencing his salvation, what do I do? Forgive others. Okay, that's how it works. First, we're forgiven by God and then we forgive others. But, If you've been genuinely forgiven by God through trusting Jesus, your heart will be a forgiving heart. Your heart will forgive because you've been humbled by his mercy, satisfied by his love, secured by his forgiveness. Your heart will forgive. So Jesus wants us to check our hearts. Have I forgiven others? And if not, then I need to repent over that and come and say, Lord, please forgive me. And he will. Okay, And then, as I experience his forgiveness, then he will enable me to actually forgive them. So, if you take five minutes this afternoon, all by yourself or with your home group buddy or whatever, and you you pray, forgive us our debts, then you will experience more of the assurance of forgiveness, more of the, the feeling of the guilt lifting off and the love coming. You'll experience more of the assurance of forgiveness than you would have had you not prayed which is why Jesus wants us to pray that. It keeps checking our hearts, it keeps current sins confessed, and we get assurance that yes, they've all been forgiven through Jesus' death on the cross. Fifth, when we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, what will God do? That's what he'll do. He'll not lead us into temptation, and he will deliver us from evil. Okay, what does that mean? As the commentators I looked at, leading us not into temptation means don't allow me to fall into sin. Empower me not to sin. Strengthen me not to sin. And it's just restated by the phrase, deliver us from evil. Deliver me from falling into evil. So we're not praying, God, keep me from being tempted. 1 Corinthians 10, he doesn't allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able but he does, he's sovereign over every temptation that comes. This one can't come. That's too much for you. This one I will allow. I will help you, enable you. So we don't pray, keep me from all temptation. Okay, that's, that's like heaven, all right? But we pray, don't let me fall into temptation. Deliver me from the evil of falling into sin. 
And you can see like through the Psalms, I think it's Psalm 119, it's very often, the psalmists pray, don't incline my heart to sin. Don't let me fall into sin. Don't let me stumble into sin. Now why would we pray? Why would we come before God in Jesus' name and say, strengthen me not to sin? Why would we do that? It's because when we do, what will God do? He will strengthen us not to sin. He will do that. And so you can take a few minutes tomorrow afternoon, maybe you take a little break at work and say, Father, it's been a tough day. I'm being tempted. Strengthen me not to sin. In Jesus' name I ask you. And you will have more power not to sin than had you not prayed. Okay, so when we pray, our prayers will move the God of the universe to act. Not because we earn it, not because we've deserved it, not because of us, because of his glorious grace which has chosen to work through our prayers to accomplish his purposes. And so when we pray, his glory, his name will be more powerfully honored, his kingdom, his saving power will come more, you'll have more of the financial provision that you need, you'll experience more of the assurance of being forgiven and you will have more strength against sin. Okay, now, time for just a couple questions. And my understanding of that from Matthew uh, 7, 7 through 11, um, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will my Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? So every time we ask God, he will either give us exactly what we've asked for or something even better that we probably wouldn't have had had we not asked him. So that's my theology of prayer. Does that, does that resonate? There are times when God doesn't... I mean, Paul prayed for his thorn in the flesh three times. This has been such a comforting passage for me. So three times, the Apostle Paul, laboring in prayer. The Greek word there is not the usual word for prayer. He is, Father, remove this thorn from me. It's buffeting me. It's weakening me. I can't do these things that I feel like you called me to do. And remember the third time what has happened. Jesus says, um, my grace is sufficient for you. My power in this circumstance is going to be multiplied to you through the weakness you have in this situation. You're going to be experiencing more of my power, more of my nearness through this weakness. And so Paul didn't get exactly what he asked for. He got something better that he probably wouldn't have received had he not prayed. Does that resonate? Does that make sense? But notice, if you don't pray, still, even if you, it's better to ask for something God's going to say no to than not pray at all because you will get something good from God, God's power will be working. He will be moving more than had we not prayed at all. No, that's exactly right. Perfect. So check our hearts. Um, the reason that God maybe isn't answering is because we're asking for the wrong thing. We're making that an idol. And he'll, he will let us know that as we pray. So we check our hearts. Excellent, Marcia. James 1. So that's a good verse. I think it's 4 and 5. It's a good question. And... Um, there's a couple of places in the book of Acts where prayers are recorded, okay? Um, and it doesn't seem to me that there's any particular kind of formula, right? But like in, when the, uh, in Acts chapter 4, I think, is one passage where there's a prayer recorded. And there's a couple other places in the book of Acts. So they are, they're, they're, they're full of truth. They're simple. They're direct. They're heartfelt. Um, 
Now again, there's nothing wrong with, remember, Jesus repeated his Gethsemane prayer three times in Gethsemane. So there's nothing wrong in principle with repeating something if it's from the heart and you don't think that the more you repeat it, the more, okay, now I'm really listening to you because you've repeated that 10,000 times. That's not the case at all. The very first time, if it's from the heart, he has, you have his full and divided attention. But he's also, Jesus taught that persisting in prayer um, can be important because there's times where that's the means through which God has chosen to work is as we persist in prayer for something. Does that answer your question at all? Or am I rambling there? So, yeah. So I would say look at the book of Acts in terms to see what, what their prayers were like. And I think you'll see they're full of scriptural truth, they're direct, they're heartfelt, and they're varied. They're, 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 they, uh, they're different each time. So we can, right, so the, I pray the answer's not there and we can think he's not answering at all when what he's really saying is wait. And so he wants us to persist in prayer in those cases. Okay, that's important. Many, many times. Parable in Luke 11, parable in Luke 13, I believe. And he will, boy, 2 Corinthians 1, right, he will definitely comfort. Oh, and he'll sense his love, he'll sense his compassion. That's powerful, powerful. Oh, yeah. Um, repeating the Lord's Prayer together. I think we've done that here a couple times, haven't we? We've, we uh, pray the Lord's Prayer together. I think it's a great step to take. Okay? Uh, as long as it's meaningful, and as long as we don't feel like it's some kind of an incantation, right? But if it's meaningful and it's from the heart, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. It's a powerful prayer to pray. So, yes, for meaningful uh, recitation of that prayer. Absolutely. Nothing wrong with that at all. Is that what I was going to say? <laughs> Maybe not. Okay. Good. Well, let me just close with this. I want to, I want to just give you an illustration of uh, a man named James Fraser, because I want you to see the power of prayer. So James Fraser, early 1900s, left England, went to southeast China to uh, do evangelism and church planting amongst the Lisu people. He was the first missionary there. And he prayed. He's known for prayer. He labored hours and hours and hours in prayer. And then he went from village to village to village, preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel. So prayer, preaching, prayer and preaching, prayer and preaching. And week after week went by, no conversions. Month after month after month went by, no conversions. And finally, one, one Lisu man met the Lord. And then another, one by one. And then then it became two by two. And then it became three by three. And after 10 years, there were 60,000 Lisu believers. Because he just kept praying, kept preaching. And here's what he says at the end of his life as he reflects on what he's learned about the ministry. I just want to share this quote with you. He says, I believe it will only be known on the last day how much has been accomplished by the prayers of earnest believers? Do we have that up there? We don't have that up there, huh? Okay. Do we get that up there? There it is. I believe it will only be known on the last day how much has been accomplished by the prayers of earnest believers. So here's my challenge and my encouragement to you. And that is God has, through Jesus Christ, called us to pray. He said, ask me, ask me, ask me. We say, well, why if you already know everything? It's because God has chosen to work his will through the prayers of his people. He's ordained that your little prayer will move his heart to work. So think of what could happen in terms of the glory of Jesus being displayed in the South Bay area or of the advance of the gospel in your neighborhood. 
I mean, if, if you haven't been praying, let your kingdom come upon my neighborhood. Think of what could happen if you started praying for that on a regular basis and just devoting time. See, de- time devoted to prayer for God's name to be hallowed, for God's kingdom to, to come, for your daily bread needs to be met, for the assurance of forgiveness to be poured out upon you, for power against sin. Time spent praying for those things is never wasted. God moves in ways that he wouldn't have moved otherwise. He's told us that. It's clear in his word because he wants us to connect with him. He gets the glory. We get the joy. So see the power of prayer. See the importance of your time. Oh, you have valuable minutes where you could be praying and calling upon God to work. And so Mercy Hill Church, I just want to call us. Let's pray. Let's pray for our neighborhoods. Let's pray for our workplaces. Let's pray for our family members who are unsaved. Let's pray for our home group, brothers and sisters. God, empower them not to sin. Let's pray for the needs for daily bread that each other has. Let's pray for outpourings of the assurance of forgiveness. Let's pray as we devote ourselves to prayer. We will see God work even more. You will see people saved. You will see your neighborhood impacted. You will see home groups multiplied. We will see churches planted. We'll see Jesus glorified. Let's do it. Here's our marching orders. Pray then like this. Because when we pray like this, God works. Let's stand up. I want to pray this over us. And this week, let's carve out more time to pray. Let's pray with more meaning and more earnestness and more faith. Father, I ask right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us. We're at different places, got different backgrounds. Some here maybe haven't yet been forgiven for their sins. Would you right now just Bring your power upon them that they would turn to you and say, I trust Jesus, Lord, Savior, treasure. I love you, Jesus Christ. I see what you've done. Forgive me. So they can start praying. Others who've maybe had background times of earnest prayer, but it has fallen off for various different reasons. Lord, today, right now, by your Spirit, would you stir prayer in their hearts? Lord, those who have earnestly persisted in prayer and have not seen answers, would you right now encourage them with your love, your comfort, your faithfulness, and stir them and strengthen them to keep praying, Lord. And God, I pray that all of us here at Mercy Hill, that we would be a people who are praying more earnestly and watching you work with more power for the glory of your name. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.